Father, we rejoice and we give you thanks. We can come into your presence this morning. Father, thank you that we can open our hearts, Lord, to give and to receive from you. And Father, I pray over this service today, may your presence touch each and every one of us. May your presence draw us closer to you, that we may see you for who you really are. A God who is full of love and mercy and compassion 
is absolutely for us. He's not mad at us, but mad about us. And so, Father, we give you praise and thanks for the privilege it is to come into your presence. Thank you, Father. You're an awesome God. And everyone said, Amen. Great to see you this morning. Why don't you turn around to your neighbor, give them a high five as you take a seat. You're looking good. You're sounding good. And it's great to be here this morning. We give you a very warm welcome. And if today is your first or second time at Activate Church, we've got a little visitor's pack we'd like to give you. There's a coffee card and a few other details there. If you can give me a wave, the host team will come by and give you one of these white packs. Okay. Well, that's cool. Very, very cool. Who's had a birthday or a wedding anniversary over the last week? Any birthdays? No birthdays, wedding anniversaries. I don't believe it. No birthdays, no wedding anniversaries. Who would like a birthday? A birthday chocolate? Okay, look, I need somebody, because we're going to say a prayer of blessing anyway. If you'd like a chocolate, why don't you come and join with me out the front and we're going to give you some chocolate. In fact, Lance is. Here comes Owen. He's up for chocolate. Who else is up for chocolate this morning? Caters. Wayne, that's good. Well, it's good. Let's give these chocolate people a hand this morning. It's great to see them. Can you, Lance, please give one to Stu and Vanessa as well? Just, hey, before you go, guys, we can't go. We've got to say the prayer blessing. You know how it goes. So uh, come up the front. Let's stand with me, church. We're going to say this prayer over. In fact, we're going to say this prayer over everybody today. So let's say it together. We're going to declare this over everybody here. Father, thank you for your family. We declare blessing, health, favour, prosperity and protection over them this year. Activate your love and goodness through each one. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Amen. Awesome. Let's give those guys a hand. Fantastic. Well, today is the last Sunday of the school holidays. So tomorrow, mums and dads, kids back to school. Who's looking forward to that, kids? Well, some hands, not hands everywhere, but cool. Have a fantastic start to the week. That's going to be fantastic. Well, a few things to bring to your attention. So uh, this Saturday, the 25th, we have Pastor Ian Green. He was at Activate Conference last year. Absolutely inspirational speaker. Really encourage you to come along and sign up for that. Go to the hub at the conclusion of the service and uh, sign up. You won't be disappointed. It'll be a wonderful time. And uh, we have three uh, sessions starting on the 23rd, the 30th of July and the 6th of August, stepping into God's best. If you want to know more about God's best for your life, there's a seminar that's running from 7 to 9 p.m. with Marilyn, Dr. Marilyn and Phil and uh, Julie presenting on this. It's going to be a wonderful time. So that's fantastic. And on the 11th of August, we have a worship evening. Who enjoyed the last one? Wasn't that fantastic? I'd really encourage you all to come. It's absolutely a wonderful time. Well, it's my pleasure to invite Pastor Sheridan. He has a special announcement to share with us. So thank you, Sheridan. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Hey, um, you never mentioned actually that Ian Green is free on Saturday. You just got to sign up. You don't have to pay. We will take an offering and there 
you will have to pay, should you choose to. <laughs> but it's free. We really, really want to uh, take every barrier away that may be in place that would stop you coming out on Saturday afternoon. So all you, the only reason we want you to put your name down is so we roughly know how many biscuits to buy for afternoon tea. So make sure you're here. We'll have a fantastic time. He will stretch you. He will uh, create you to, you know, he'll cause you to think outside the box a little. And uh, he may even make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, but it's really good because he's shaping something as we move forward. Anyway, the reason I'm standing here is... Um, it's starting to become common knowledge and I thought I really needed, to, I sent out a letter during the week uh, announcing it to everyone, but whether you got it or not on my pastor's desk, is that Phil and Kathy Strong are going to leave us. They are going to Te Aumutu and they're going to pastor the church there. So in, in one sense it's fantastic news, in another sense it's a little sad for us, but uh, it's really, really exciting as we release more leaders into their destiny in God. And so you'll hear more from that and we'll say goodbye to them properly and everything as time comes. But I wanted you to be informed. So it's good news, eh? Very exciting. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Pastor Sheridan. You know, church, one of the great things of being part of a church family is when one another are struggling with an issue, it might be health, it might be something else, we can stand with one another, pray with one another and see the goodness of God bring life and support. And this morning I'm going to invite you church to stand with Pastor um, Trevor and Jan and Sheridan. As you know, Margaret has been unwell, but she's been making very good recovery. She continues to be in hospital. But can I ask you to stand as we gather around uh, Trevor, Jan and Sheridan this morning as we pray for Margot in particular and for the family. But let's gather, come out of your seats and let's uh, gather around them. So, uh, Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can come before your throne of grace. And Lord, your throne is filled with love, healing, compassion, power, goodness, and grace. And Father, we release this this morning, Lord, in manifold volumes, I pray, upon Trevor and particularly Margot. We thank you for the wonderful recovery that is taking place, and we pray for total and complete healing. And we declare this healing, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus. We give you thanks. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray for your complete comfort and uh, embrace around Trevor and uh, Jan and, and uh, Brett and Ross and their families. May they know your peace and presence in such a precious way that would carry them above every trial. And Lord, to bring them to, Lord, the place of this full recovery. We give you thanks for that. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Thank you, church. That's great. One of the things that's unique to Activate Church is each week or just about every week, we hear a testimony of God working His goodness through someone. I think it's so cool. There's been some amazing stories. I think of some where people have led people to Christ in the hospital, others taking a a cake or offering a coffee to somebody. Um, and sure, we're going to hear from Jeremy. And Jeremy has um, amazing testimonies to share. But I want to challenge you before Jeremy comes. Why don't you make this a week where you have a story to tell? Make this week a week where you have a story to tell. You might buy a coffee for a workmate. 
You might bake a cake for a neighbour. You might share in a word of encouragement for somebody who's feeling a little bit down. But this week, don't let it go by without the opportunity of having a story to share of God goodness that you've been involved with. So be encouraged by that. And thank you, Jeremy. Come, and we look forward to hearing the story of God's goodness in your life. Good morning, church. How are you? Yeah, um, as I was just asked to share a story about God's goodness, um, you know, there's that saying, God works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? And um, I really love this part of the service, you know, it's, it's a powerful thing to remember. I really believe we're really created to be overwhelmed by God's goodness. And if we're not, we're actually overwhelmed by something or somebody else. And, you know, it's a powerful thing to remember because what we place over our lives as a banner is really what flows through us as a river. And I guess my testimony and my story of God's goodness can only come through me when I realise His goodness to me. And there was a, many years ago, um, we lived in a house and uh, I had a friend that I got in contact with um, and it had been some time since I'd last spoken to him and he phoned me up and he was in a very desperate, um, really hard place and, and um, I could just hear the, um, his words on the end of the phone, I just sensed sense desperation, hopelessness, despair. And, you know, we looked around and we thought to ourselves, you know, how can we help this person? He needed accommodation. He needed a place to live. And, you know, we were in a two-bedroom house and we had a young child and we just sensed that God was saying to us, you do something. So we said to him, we said, look, you're welcome to come stay with us. You know, we'll give you a room. We'll give you a place to, to live. You can be part of our family. We'll feed you. We'll clothe you. We'll look after you. We'll love you. And, you know, we got off the phone and we just said to God, God, you know, just going to have to work this one out because this is a we just don't have a place for him to stay you know we had a couch but we wanted him to have some dignity and we wanted to restore that sense of self-worth you know and, and that value so because it was a long term thing we thought well a couch is okay but we want a room God we want a room so you know you never know those prayers that you offer up to God eh and it was a funny thing because the next morning we get a knock on our door at 7am and it was uh, um, this response maintenance company. They had sent one of their workers across to, to knock on our door and, and tell us something at 7 a.m. in the morning. And what it was, was that they had been working on the next door neighbour's um, garage because oh, they were concreting the driveway to put a garage in. And um, with the age of the house, um, our next door neighbour's property, our back shed was joined with their shed. And uh, to actually make the foundations for the garage to be built, they had to actually take down their shed. Because the, our two roofs were joined with the sheds, when they actually took the tractor with the front end loader, it was all covered with ivy, so they couldn't quite see where the roof was joined. And it was a funny thing, because as they took down their roof, their roof, our roof, came down as well. And it was quite amazing because they came to us and they said, look, we're sorry what's happened, what, what we've done, but we'll actually fix it. And what we'll do is we'll build it to however you want. <laughs> Come on. Let's give God praise. I mean, that's a miracle, man. <laughs> yeah. So we're standing there and we're going, well, we've just got an outside room for free. So we said, okay, we'll have it insulated. Yeah. We'll have a nice door on the front of it and we'll have a nice wood panelling and we'll have it painted this way. And, 
And it was just a matter of time. I think it was only three weeks that it was all done, all completed. We had the carpet given to us by my mother. We had all furniture given. We actually didn't have to pay a cent. And so my friend, I just remember that moment when he came through the doors and we said, here we go. This is your new bedroom. Come and live with us. You know, God is so good. He is so good. He is so good to us. Awesome. What a fantastic story. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Church, I've admitted to do something. When somebody's so much part of family, you almost forget that they're here, but it's just a fantastic opportunity to welcome you, Pastor Andrew, all the way from Raglan. He's so much part of the family, and we're looking forward to have you share with us this morning. Things are going wonderfully well for Andrew and Leanne and the team in Raglan, I'm sure we'll hear more about that as well. So fantastic. Well, it's my pleasure to invite Tina. Tina's going to come and share from Psalm 20 this morning. Thank you, Tina. Psalm 20 is a beautiful psalm. It's a psalm of David, for David, by the people. And the nation is on the brink of war. So before going off into battle, King David has come to offer sacrifices. Together with his people's prayers, there's confidence and assurance of victory in the name of the Lord our God. And I also like to think of it as a psalm of David for the Lord our God by us. First one. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. Selah. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall. But we rise up and stand firm. O Lord, save the King. Answer us when we call. Think on this. Father, we thank you for the psalmist. Lord, I'm mindful of that verse. May he grant you your heart's desires and make your plan succeed. Father, thank you for your word that resonates in our hearts. And Lord, I pray as we come round the communion table, Lord, as we participate of these emblems, may we be ever mindful of the greatest act of demonstration of love that Jesus gave his life for us. So, For this, Lord, we give you incredible thanks. Marilyn's going to come and share.
communion with us this morning. Thank you, Marilyn. Try to hand out the emblems, thanks. Don't you just love the blood of Jesus, that most precious, most powerful substance in the whole universe? It cleanses us, it purifies us, sanctifies us, frees us from sin, and it gives us confidence to enter into the very presence of God himself. In Hebrews 12, it says that Jesus' blood speaks. It doesn't call for justice or retribution, but it speaks of forgiveness and reconciliation because God has reconciled the world to himself in Christ. He doesn't count people's sins against them anymore. Here, 2,000 years after the cross, we can kind of think of Jesus' blood in, a, in figurative terms, like um, the blood is some intangible spiritual substance that we can invoke, but we might really struggle to actually grasp. But it was very real back then. Jesus did bleed, and he bled a lot. I've heard people talk about the effect of the physical blood of Jesus, for, for instance, how it touched the ground and creating that massive earthquake, signifying the breaking of the curse on the land that had been there since the fall. How many of you have seen that passion movie? Jesus didn't just bleed when he was hanging on the cross. He'd lost a lot of blood before he ever climbed up that hill. What about that blood? If Jesus' blood was as powerful before his crucifixion as it was afterwards, and he was crucified before the foundation of the world so we can assume that it was what was the effect of that blood that was shed before he ever reached the cross Isaiah 53 prophesied what would happen to Jesus that he would be pierced for our transgressions crushed for our iniquities punished to bring us peace wounded so that we could be healed wonder if Isaiah really saw what this would look like you know did he have any idea what a Roman flogging would look like There would have been a big crowd watching, lots of soldiers jeering, probably a good number of bloodthirsty Jews as well. If any of the Pharisees were watching, they would have kept themselves well apart to avoid being defiled. So they would have never gotten one spot of blood on their clothing. The rabble around the courtyard, some of them would have been sprinkled, maybe not even being aware of it. The Roman soldiers, men known for their brutality, would have got a good spattering as they egged on their fellows from the sideline. But who really got covered with the blood of Jesus? It was the professional thugs, the hit men, the men who wielded those horrific whips. Those men would have been soaked in the blood of Jesus. This is not a mistake. God doesn't do random. So what was he saying? He's saying that no one is out of his reach. There was no one that's too hard for him to save. No one's sin is too great for him to annul or to forgive. Even those men who found such pleasure in their savagery, he was making the point that he has reconciled the whole world to himself. Not just the nice people, not just the ones who live in comfy neighbourhoods and go to church, but also the drug lords, the pimps, the addicts. God is a God who pursues the lost and he no longer counts their sins against them. Didn't Jesus prove that when he took his disciples all the way across a lake through a massive storm not to meet the nice people in the garrisons and spend a few days, but to set free that desolate wreck of a man that everyone else had given up on. And you know what? That man evangelised the entire region. So who in our world has Jesus targeted for a full-on soaking and his precious cleansing blood? Your bullying boss with his filthy, filthy tongue? The pedophile you heard moved into a street near you? 
the spotty-faced addict pushing drugs outside your kids' school. He's targeted them with his relentless love. Because maybe, like the man from the Gerasenes, Monday, they might be the ones to evangelise the city. So let's eat and drink together, remembering the price that Jesus paid so that every one of his kids could be returned to their father. Lord, I pray. Lord, I pray that we would no longer see people according to the flesh, according to their outer appearances, according to their failings. Lord, would you give us your eyes to see the image of yourself that you've placed into each one. Fill us us with compassion for the obnoxious, for the angry and the hurting people around us. Give us the courage to pursue them like you do, Jesus. Amen. take a moment to to absorb that church we have a loving God who pursues us
judge and I'll defend Suffered and crucified Forgiveness is in you Descended into darkness You rose in glorious light Forever seated high I believe in God our Father I believe in Christ the Son I believe in the Holy Spirit Our God is three in one I believe in the resurrection That we will rise again For I believe in the name of Jesus Sing, I believe Yes, Lord. I believe you rose again. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's sing. I believe. We declare. that no matter where we are in life, Lord, that you can get us out of that place, Lord. We just lift our voices in this place this morning. 
don't you repeat after me. I declare. One more time. I declare that Jesus is Lord. That He died and rose again. And we have the victory. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you give a shout of praise right now? Why don't you, come on. Let's give Him the glory. Give you the glory. Oh, we praise you. Risen, risen King. Jesus. We are calling on the Lord. We have named that we believe in the foundations of that the church has put before it. We believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. These foundations are from the Apostle Creed, all the things that the old church stated that they believed. This is the foundation on which we were built, and it is an army to march forward. We start, I feel as this music goes forward, that it is the beginning of an army walking out staking a claim we believe in God the Father this is who we are and we are here for um, to move forward in Jesus name children, Lord, we look to you, our Daddy in heaven, our Holy Father, Lord, we just declare in this place that you are a good Father, no matter what our earthly experiences of of fathers may have been, Lord, that uh, we declare right here and now that you are a good Father, you did everything possible to, to pursue us and to bring us into your presence, and we stand here before you this morning, Lord. We declare that you are a good father. Yes, Lord.
stand in your presence knowing that you're a good, good Father you're so for us, you're so with us I just want to give 
every man here an opportunity with your arms raised to heaven. I believe God wants to pour out an anointing, a mantle of fatherhood to refresh you, to encourage you, to inspire you, to move you closer into the very arms of your loving Father. That you'd know that He's a good, good Father. And because of that, you can be a great dad. So with every hand raised to heaven, Father, I pray this morning the deposit of fatherhood in a fresh manifestation. That, Father, we can be, Lord, men that would express fathering the way You desire it to be. That children, young people would be safe, secure, knowing that there is a dad that stands with them, that stands for them, that believes in them, that encourages them, that inspires them to be all You've called them to be. Father, I pray, let fathering be released in a new measure, with new authority, with new power, in the Name of Jesus, Lord. Father, for young students that are feeling lost, may they know what it is to have the arms of a man that would come and be strong and say, this is the way. Walk in it, for the Lord your God is with you. Father, thank You that You accept us, You love us, You've called us for such a time as this. And Father, we count it a privilege to be called the children of God, sons and daughters of the living God. You're awesome, Father. You're absolutely awesome. And we love You. And we praise You. And we thank You. In Jesus' name. Amen. Man, I feel good about that. I feel really good. Why don't you grab a seat? That is so cool. You're looking really, really good this morning. Why don't you turn to your neighbour and say you're looking good? Well, church, it's my absolute privilege to welcome... Pastor Andrew Rowden, all the way from Raglan. Let's give him a warm, warm, activate Hamilton welcome. Bless you, buddy. You're great. Well, thank you. And uh, can I just say Raglan is pretty awesome. Uh, Leanne and Sean, they're quite happy to come into Hamilton, you know, two or three times a week. I'm like, you know, two or three times a year, that's fine. You know, why would you leave Raglan? Uh, but it's really cool to be here this morning and... Uh, it's my first time back um, like this. Uh, it's kind of a funny feeling, really. So um, I'm used to speaking to about 20 or 30 people now. So half of you go home, I'll just... No, no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, Raglan's going great, you know. The, we, we've been really encouraged there. They have welcomed us really amazingly and included us, and we really do feel home there. And uh, the church is in really good health, and... Uh, in fact, we just moved our seats around 90 degrees the other day so we could fit another 15, and, 15 or 20 seats in. And, uh, and that's really cool. I mean, there's nothing worse than sitting there going, mate, if two families turn up this morning, we're toast, you know. We, we need more seats. So that's a really encouraging sign. And, uh, but just the sense of love and camaraderie 
that exists there, the desire to reach the Raglan community. Uh, we're, we're loving it. It's, um, it's fantastic. So thank you for sending us. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for those who visited us. Very, very cool. Well, um, like you guys, we are um, Activate Church. We just, you know, I just got to get the menthol out. I didn't think I'd need one, but shall I put one on both cheeks so that they look puffy equally? <coughs> We're also looking at faith and goodness um, this year, and I wanted to come at it from a particular point of view because. Um, how many of you, other than Ray Pickett, love maths? See, you know, loving maths? Oh, my goodness. See, that's statistically, I mean, that's 1%. That's more than normal. You guys are crazy. I mean, loving maths. No one loves maths. But Ray loves maths, and I saw a few hands. But on the other hand, how many of you love pizza? Okay, so pizza wins, all right? So when you look at maths, you can look at pie charts, which sort of look like a pizza, right? And... The problem is that when we come to our heart, we can sometimes make the mistake of thinking that our heart is a finite resource and that it's like a pie chart and we've only got so much love in our heart to go around. And so we look at it and go, well, obviously Jesus needs the first wedge, but, you know, um, yeah, I want to love Jesus the most, but what implications does that have for my wife and my kids? Well, I'll give them from there to there, and I do love my job, and there's some people in the church regularly now, we're loving them, and oh my goodness, I've got to fit all these things into the pie chart. But can I tell you, your heart is not like that. Your heart has an infinite capacity to love. And you don't have one pie chart or one pizza, you have dozens and dozens of dozens of pie charts and pizzas that fit in your heart. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not a limited resource. And you don't have to sit there and go, well, if I'm to love Jesus more, that means I have to love someone else less. No. So think of them as pizza trays. You can have as many pizzas as you like. And you can see that I have. No, no, no. The thing is, though, that in many ways the pizzas are stacked. And when you're coming into a life of faith and goodness, the main thing is it doesn't really matter what order the other pizzas are in as long as Jesus is the top tray. Yeah? We need to come and make Jesus number one. He needs to be the first. He needs to be our first love. And, and so let's have a look at a couple of things about that because Jesus was constantly inviting people to come and follow him into a life of faith and goodness. But it meant some very interesting conversations. Luke chapter 9, verse 57, right at the end of a long chapter. Uh, you know, you could spend all year just on this one chapter. It's, it's, it's fun. Luke 9, 57. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Bold statement, eh? Have you ever said that? Sorry, God, I'll follow you wherever. And Jesus, great mate that he is, says, well, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. See, he looked into the heart of that man and he says, you say you want to follow me, but right now I just want you to know that if you follow me, there's you're not going to necessarily have anywhere to sleep. And he wasn't trying to be stink. He was just saying, I can look into your heart and I can see that, yeah, you do want to follow me, but actually you want life as normal as well. 
you want the safety of a nice home and there's nothing wrong with a nice home. You want the normal aspect of society and when I call you away from those, actually, you're going to look back and go, but, but what about my house? And, and the question that Jesus is really asking is, if I call you to a life of faith and goodness, if I call you away from that nice home, how will you respond then? And he, Jesus said to another in verse 59, come, follow me. And he's inviting them to be his disciples, just like he invited the other disciples. And we need to understand that a lot went with that. He wasn't inviting people to come and say, hey, come and we'll do lunch together, have a listen, see what you think. In the tradition of the day, you could be invited to follow a rabbi or a prophet. If you followed a rabbi, he was saying, come and spend the next few years listening to me and I'll reproduce myself and you until you learn all my sayings and all my favourite ways of doing things and you can go out and do them the same way I do them. Come and listen. But if you were invited to follow a prophet, he was saying, now you come and you sleep where I sleep if I sleep, and you eat what I eat if I get around to eating. And you take that bird and I, he's calling them to a life of suffering, a, a costly life. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Sorry, the Wi-Fi is on, so it's just come up and reminded me that it's Tyra's birthday today. Happy birthday, Tyra, wherever you are. Jesus told him, you let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Oh, what a stink, dude. I'll just go and bury dad. No, blow dad. You know, somebody else can bury him. F forget about him. You go and preach the gospel. Oh, man, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? This man felt his duty to the traditions, which were very serious. And again, there's actually nothing wrong with the traditions. They had their place. There's nothing wrong with family and wanting to bury your father. That's an admirable thing to do. And Jesus didn't have actually a problem with that. But what Jesus was asking was, will you bow to me or to traditions? See, if you're going to follow me into a life of faith of goodness, Jesus says, it might require you to forsake some traditions, some things that really matter to you, good things. And see, that the gospel is quite extreme in the way it explains these things because this is the first time these ideas are being promoted to people. And Jesus is wanting to be very emphatic. He wants to make sure we get it. He doesn't want to leave any sense of ambiguity. I'm calling you to a life of sacrifice. I might call you away from being able to bury your dad. Is that going to be okay? He wants to make sure we're getting the point. What he's saying is you're not the only person who can bury your parents, but you are the only person who can answer the call to faith and goodness on your life. And, you know, I do. I have to say there's a cringe factor there for me. Really? My father's died? I can't? What? But he's saying, he, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when the call comes, it comes with the cost. Another person said to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and say goodbye to mum and dad. But Jesus said, anyone who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. No one who looks back. Do you remember what happened to Lot's wife? As she's fleeing Sodom, 
She looks back and says, but my shoes. What about my shoes? What about my friends? And she looks back and we know what happens to her. Moses takes the Israelites miraculously out of Egypt and they come back to him and say, we liked Egypt. What have you done taking us out into this desert? And they look back and look at the, as for those of you who are old enough to remember Keith Green's, you want to go back to Egypt. What about the leeks and lime juice? They've forgotten all about the whips and the bricks and the slavery. But they're looking back and they're pining through the things they had. And Jesus isn't trying to be stink, but he says, when I call you, if you're going to be constantly looking back and going, oh, but what about? He says, then you're not ready. You're not ready. If you're going to constantly miss those things, if you pine for them, if they're going to distract you from the call to faith and goodness, you're not ready. And he's not meaning to be mean. But let's come back and look at the context to which Jesus is inviting these people. He's not inviting them to Easter camp. He's not saying, come to Easter camp with me and it'll be great because Owen will lead some worship, you know, and there'll be some dance and we'll play games and watch movies and you'll make great friends and you'll fall in love with the girl on the other side of the table and Easter camp's amazing. So come. The context is a spiritual, invisible battle and Jesus is enlisting troops. In becoming a follower of Jesus, you are becoming a soldier for Jesus. And you can't join an army on your own terms. Have you noticed that? We can't join an army on our own terms. We can't come to Jesus on our own terms. Only on his terms. So many times we hear, you know, you switch on TV and some prosperity preacher is preaching amazing prosperity and I don't actually have any problem with prosperity. I don't mind if some prosperity lands in my lap right now. I'm quite happy about prosperity. But not at the expense of what he's called me to do. Because I suspect that if you gave me, if miraculously I won lotto last night, even though I didn't buy a ticket, I suspect $10 million could distract me from the call. I'd like to think that it wouldn't. I'd like to think it would just, you know, I'd be able to use it for the call. And I probably would once I got through Thailand, Bali, and the Bahamas, you know. The call on your life may well include a Harley Davidson and a big house and a beautiful yacht, because there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Please hear that. Nothing wrong with those things. The house we're living in at the moment, our new landlord, he's a, he's a Russian millionaire's super yacht captain. And I go online and I see this 46-metre super yacht, half a rugby field, and he's swanning around Italy. I'm not really stalking him, but do you know there's webcams all along the coast of Italy? There goes Murray. Bye, Murray. Gold taps. Nothing wrong with any of those things. And actually, some people, those things will be part of life of faith and goodness for God. Yet at the same time, Jesus is at pains to not paint that picture today. 
He's saying, I might call you away from home. I might call you away from the security. I might call you away from a nice salary. I might call you away even from your family. I might call you away from their expectations and dreams for you. I might call you away from the traditions and the society that you really enjoy. I might call you away from whatever it is that currently has your attention. Whatever's the top pie, I might call you away from that because I want to be the top pie. Don't be under any illusion that a life of faith and goodness has a price to pay. It's a costly discipleship. Luke 9 again, back to verse 23, and he said to them, if anyone would come after me to live a life of faith and goodness, I added that bit in, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. They didn't know how Jesus was going to die, but they understood crucifixion. They understood that imagery of someone having been prosecuted and condemned and having to put their cross on their back and walk through the streets until they were finally nailed. You can imagine them standing there going, what? Are we to be condemned like criminals? And Jesus says, yeah, pretty much. The context for Luke 9 is, or some of it anyway, is that Jesus sent the disciples ahead of him into Samaria to break the way for him, and they were rejected. And Jesus comes back, well, were you surprised? The life I'm calling you to is a life of rejection. Not all the time, and not in every way, but every single one of us will experience rejection of some kind if we follow a life of faith and goodness. And he's saying, come on, take up your cross, follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will gain, will save it. There's an aspect to which he's saying, come on, all those things you love, I'm not necessarily saying you'll lose them. But if called upon, would you let them go? Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me to live a life of faith and goodness and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. Wow. Hate. That's a strong word. But actually, love versus hate is a well-known idiom in the Gospels and in the Bible. Not to literally hate something, but that if a conflict comes into play here, you can only love one, you know, even when it's against the money. You know, you'll either love God or love money. Love one or hate the other. And it's that sort of idea here. If I call you and your parents don't like that, Who are you going to serve? Me or your parents? Because if you say no to me, what you're really saying is your parents are top pie. And your parents, as lovely and as wonderful they are, have actually taken my place of lordship in your life. Strong words, eh? Strong words. But he says, even your own parents can't be above me if you want to follow He's reordering our stack of pie charts or pizzas. He says, you're right to love your family, but let's keep it in context. Verse 28 of 14. Which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation is not able to finish it, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. 
How many times have we said to people, it's going to be amazing, God's called me, I'm not going to do this, and fall flat on your face because we didn't count the cost and now people are mocking and going, oh yeah. But I'm raising this today because I know many of you have already counted the cost. You've already surrendered. You've already said yes to Jesus. But if you're anything like me, life takes its course and all of a sudden things that I thought I had surrendered and had surrendered have crept back and now they're too valuable to me once again. I've got to, I've got to, re, I've got to cut them off. Excuse me. Think about it. We've got to weigh it up. And the whole idea of a message like this today is so that we can count the cost today so that if Jesus calls us tomorrow, we have already done some evaluation and we're already ready with a heart that says, yes, God. Very quickly, I just want to mention two, two areas that I believe we need to surrender. There's a, a pastor's in Austin, Texas, and, and Jenny Allen, the pastor's wife, she wrote a book called Anything. You can guess what that's about, eh? <clears throat> she tells the story of going to her parents as a young woman and telling them that she felt God was calling her overseas to serve him. She didn't know where, but as part of her university degree, she was allowed to go anywhere for two years and serve. And her parents, as she sat on the corner of their bed, didn't say she couldn't go. But she knew her parents, and she knew that, look, they weren't keen. And like the man in Luke, she was torn because as she sat on the corner of their bed, she felt the obligation to tradition. She felt the obligation to her parents. She was expected to get a degree, to marry well, to live in a nice house and give them grandkids because that's what you did in the Midwest or wherever in America. She wanted their approval and she says this, the current running through my heart was no little creek. It was a frantic river drowning out my God and controlling my heart and thus my life. I loved invisible God, but I loved visible people more. I worshipped them. I bowed down for their gold stars, especially from the two people I found myself looking that night on the corner of their bed. That night on my parents' bed, as I told them I wanted to obey God by serving him in another country, far from their categories and dreams, many streams flooded me. She goes on to say, you see, love is jealous, especially God's love. He wants me. And I wanted everyone else. People had to shrink for me before God had me completely. You know what I'm saying? People had to shrink for me before God would have me completely. What an incredibly difficult thought. Because see, our, our desire for our parents' approval is actually natural and normal and healthy and good and wonderful. God doesn't have an issue with that. But when, it, but when it come, push comes to shove and we have to make a decision, who's going to win? I often imagine uh, Paul's parents, the Apostle Paul, before he became Paul, and he was this crusading Pharisee running around the country, killing these Christian upstarts. I wonder what was said around the barbecue on Friday nights. How'd you go this week, son? Oh, yeah, got dozens of them, Dad. Good on you, mate. What are you going to do this week? Oh, I'm off to Damascus. The more of those turkeys are hiding down there. Oh, good one, son. Here, take my gun. It's better than yours. 
Go get him, soldier. And then a few weeks later, they get an email from Paul. Oh, Dad, I saw a bright light and I heard a voice in my head. And now I'm one of them. I wonder what's going on at the next barbecue. Is Saul's dad coming up going, good on you, mate. We, we love you anyway. Or is there rejection and say, well, you're no son of mine then. And Paul would have had one of those moments where he has to decide, well, am I for God or am I for my parents? And, and we try to do both, yeah, for sure. But there will always come a dividing line where we've really given our heart to one or the other. I wonder how they reacted. I wonder whose approval matters to you and me more than God's approval. I wonder who could give us a look that would turn us away from the call of God. What we're really saying is, I wonder if I really trust God. Do I really trust him? Come back to that in a minute. The second one is this, and I'll try and be very brief with this. The second one is a sense of entitlement. Yes, God, I'll follow you, but I expect you to look after me. I want to follow you, but I want life as normal too. I want to climb the corporate ladder and have a nice car and a good retirement fund. Yep, I want my kids to be in the best schools and so on. Again, nothing wrong with any of those things. Except if we're now putting conditions on God. Putting conditions on following him into a life of faith and goodness. When Jenny Allen, that author, offered, God, you can have anything. What about our house? Do you want our house? Should we sell our house and give the money to the poor? Would you like that, God? And he says, no, not right now anyway. Well, what about our cars? We don't really need three cars. I could sell one of the cars or even two of them and give the money to the poor. Would you like that? No, I don't want your cars right now either. Well, what do you want, God? Actually, I'd like your spare bed. What? There's a spare bed in your son's room. And there's an orphan in Africa who's coming out of war, I'd like him to have your bed. Oh, wow. Actually selling our cars would have been easier. But she went to Africa and they went through all the rigmarole and they brought an orphan back into their spare bed. And all the challenges and amazing adventures and blessings that came with that. But it was anything, God. And he might not want what you think he wants. He might want something you've never even thought of. Who thought of a spare bed? Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. See, foxes have holes, but a soldier is lucky if he even gets a foxhole. And remember that the context is this battle and a good general does whatever he can to feed and look after his troops and Jesus is no different. The captain, the host is a good general. But first and foremost, he has a battle to win and sometimes that will mean his troops will go hungry and have nowhere to sleep. You and me. The ironic thing about believing in God and supernatural things is that the invisible stuff is actually the most real. 
And so sometimes the concrete things we can see and touch, they become the wind just passing through our fingers. Sometimes we put conditions on following God. I'll follow you, but you need to serve me well. But Jesus said to some people, you know, they've already received their reward in this life. They've chosen to get their reward in this life. They're not going to get it in the next. It's too easy in this country for blessings to become rights, for stuff and money to become what causes shots in our life. And before we know it, God's gifts have replaced God himself. We fall into the trap of thinking God owes us. Well, I've served you, God. I've, I've been a Christian for 40 years. And even when Lee and I got married, we went straight into a church plant and, and we did everything, God. But say, so how come I got diabetes? How come I've got profound deafness? I, how come I have lawnmower accidents, for goodness sake? You're not treating me very well, God. But you can't be a soldier in a battle and expect necessarily to get through unscathed. If you're in the firing line, you have to expect to take some hits. Don't act so surprised when you get hurt. But Jesus says, and Paul says, find a way to rejoice that you've been included as worthy of suffering for Jesus. And not for a moment am I making light of sufferings. Not for a moment am I wanting to make light of the, the very real things that are hurting people right now. But if it becomes our expectation that, God, I'll serve you, but I'm not going to suffer for you. You've got to look after me better than that. No, the context is a spiritual battle. And we can't join the army on our own terms. So I wonder, just in closing, I wonder what conditions we've placed on God, secretly in our hearts, that would prevent us from following him. And this morning there's a call to surrender. To surrender those conditions, to surrender that sense of entitlement, to surrender from those things we're saying, well, God, I'll go, but a lot of them are good things, but if they become conditions, they aren't anymore. I wonder whose approval matters most to you right now. I wonder if there's someone who can without saying a thing, but you know from the look that they're giving you that if you choose to follow, they're going to be disappointed. And you've got to make a choice. Do I, do I keep them happy? Or do I follow God into a life of faith and goodness? So I wonder if you'd just stand with me now. And I just want to talk to two groups of people briefly. And, and the first is maybe you don't know God this morning. Maybe you've never chosen to follow Jesus. But maybe while we've been talking this morning, your heart's been going 100 miles an hour and you, you've realised perhaps for the first time this is more real than I thought it was. So just while every head's bowed and every eye's closed, I just wonder this morning, if you're sitting there this morning go, my goodness, I, I need to do this. I need to follow Jesus. I need to give him my whole life and you, I understand that it might be costly but I want to follow him. If that's you could I just ask you just to raise your hand just while I'm looking and uh, you know, if you want to do that I'd love to pray with you after the service and introduce you to Jesus. Or perhaps this morning <coughs> you love Jesus 
and you want to follow Him in a life of faith and goodness. But as we've talked this morning, you've realised, yeah, there are a few things that I need to surrender. There's a few things I need to die to. There's a few things I need to, I need to reorder the pizzas today. If that's you, then just as we close the service, I just want to invite you to come up the front here and, and treat this as an altar. And we just want to pray with you, join with you. As you give those things to God, and say, no one's approval is going to come between me and you. No, I'm not going to demand anything of you. If that's you, then just come and join me up here and I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you. Father, I want to thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that when you came, you made it abundantly clear what a life of faith and goodness looks like, what a life of discipleship looks like. And this morning, I just pray that we would be those who would take up our cross, who would deny ourselves, who would who would hold nothing in higher regard than you. That Lord, when you give us the call, that we would have hearts that would respond, yes, Lord, anything, Lord, anywhere, Lord, anyone, wherever, whenever. So Lord, we, we give our lives to you this morning. And we say, lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Andrew. Let's give them a hand. That's wonderful. Great stuff. So very, very encouraging. We're about to sing, and I'm going to ask Owen and the the team to lead us and really give you the opportunity, if you'd like to respond, please feel free to come to the front, and Andrew and others would love to stand with you and pray with you. This evening, Luke is speaking at the 6 p.m. service, so we encourage you to come out to that. It'd be fantastic. And as you go, can I ask you to be purposed in your giving? In your seat pocket in front of you is a giving card with a number of ways to give. It's so wonderful to invest in the kingdom of God and what God is doing. I can't think of a better place to invest our finances, times, and treasures. And finally, there's a little card. If you have a prayer request, can I uh, ask you to take the opportunity to fill that in? And the staff team would love to join with you in praying through that during the week. So uh, thank you very much, church. Have a great afternoon. Enjoy tea and coffee. And do remember to sign up at the Hub for Ian Green. And it's free next Saturday, 12.30 to 4 p.m. Thanks very much, John. Sing this, I believe. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, how God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, and we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe. 
believe in God our Father I believe in Christ the Son I believe in the Holy Spirit How God is three in one I believe in the resurrection That we will rise again For I believe in the name of Jesus For I believe in the name of Jesus Yes, I believe in the name of Jesus Yes, we declare this morning that you are Lord as we leave this place this morning, we take you with us, Lord, into the city of Hamilton, Lord. We step into all that you've called us to step into, Lord. Bless you. Have your way. Amen. Have a great morning, church. We have a 6 p.m. service as well. Have a great day. Bless you.